Welcome back. I hope you had a as good of a time as I did down at the market. It was a little down on numbers, but beautiful day to be out at the park sharing the word of the Lord with people uh, taking down the giant, building crafts. My shoulder hurts a little bit from playing with that fidget spinner. But uh, it was a good day. <laughs> Beautiful day. Made me lose my train of thought. Okay. Tonight, we're going to be back in the book of John, John chapter 6. Uh, last week, we learned that we must take all of Christ in order for Him to take us. This was uh, Christ and His speaking of His uh, flesh as the bread and His blood as the wine, or taking His, uh, his flesh and His blood, taking all of Him, not just the parts that we want, not just the parts that we enjoy, uh, and we're going to see that this really offended some people. It, it um, was a hard saying for a lot of people to understand, so we're going to pick up uh, in verse number 60 of John chapter 6 and go through the last couple of verses and um, really see what the sticking point was. So John chapter 6 and verse number 60. And the Bible says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the, fl that quickeneth. the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for this opportunity to gather here to share your word. Lord, we thank you for what you're uh, doing through us and in us here in Maxwell. I pray that you would continue to guide and direct. I pray that you would uh, watch over us as we go out and knock on doors, spread your word as we meet people in the park, and Lord, as we just try to serve you, I pray that you would protect and provide. God, tonight I pray uh, that we would hear your word and we would devour it, that we would take in the truth of this word and we would let it shape our lives. Lord, we are what we eat and we are eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Christ, if we are devouring your word, then we will become like you. So God, please guide and direct tonight. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We start tonight with verse number 60. Uh, we left off in verse number 62 last week, but I thought we needed to pick up on these. And Christ has a question here. Uh, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In verse number 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? 
Now, I looked up the word offend in Webster's 1828 dictionary. Um, I don't do that often. I, I like to let the Bible define itself, but there are so many things about the word offend in the Bible that I just could not piece them all together in this time frame. So I went to Webster's 1828 dictionary, and there are many definitions for the word offend, but I want to take a look at a few as some of these bring a new meaning, a new angle to Christ's question here. So the first one that I found was in offend was to displease, to make angry, to affront. It is synonymous with displease. This is probably the definition that we understand the best. Uh, if we're offended of something, we're displeased with it, we're angered by it. Um, and it's the one that, that comes to mind most often when we hear this word. The second one is to shock or to wound as in the conscience. To offend the conscience of somebody, the conscience of somebody, conscience of somebody, um, to get them to the point where they are angered or they are displeased with something. Number three, to pain, to annoy, or to cause to fall or stumble. This is the version of the word offend that Christ uses when he talks about offending uh, the little children, one that would cause them to to stumble, to fall, to break away number four to draw to evil or hinder in obedience to cause to sin or neglect duty and the fifth one was to transgress moral or divine law to sin or to commit to commit a crime sorry i don't know what is wrong with my tongue tonight but it's all tied up and this is where we get we see this in our criminal justice system this last definition the uh, offender is the one that is on trial, is the one that has been uh, judged and penalized. And here Christ is saying, does this offend you? Could it be that the righteous judge, the righteous judge, the Son of God, the God of creation that's walking this earth as a man, is giving them a warning? For sure, he is asking that if that asking them if this makes them angry or this displeases them. And I'm sure it does, but he's also asking, are you going to let this hard saying make you an offender of God's law? Is this what it's going to take to turn you away from God? Think back to the woman who was taken in adultery. Uh, she had offended God's commandments. She was absolutely guilty. She was taken in the very act. Oddly enough, she was the only one brought. The man was not brought with her, but that's a whole other uh, instance. But Christ's answer at that time was for those in the crowd who were righteous or without sin to cast the first stone. He had pronounced her guilty. He had judged. She was guilty. He had pronounced her punishment. This is the, the punishment that God had given clear back in the book of Exodus that she was to be stoned. But her peers understood that they were also lacking and could not pass the same judgment. Those that brought her to be judged were just as guilty as she was. And Christ helped them to see themselves. Here, I believe he is asking them so that they also, these disciples will also see themselves for who they really are. So that they will see that they are sinners, that they are away from God. And they will seek God, but yet they refuse and they harden their hearts. We need to understand that the offense will come. Matthew Chapter 18. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18 and verse 
Number six. This is Christ speaking to his disciples uh, about the children. It says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Christ warns those who would cause people to offend against God here in this passage. The use of the word offend in this case is not that they would make the children angry or displeased, but that they would cause these children to walk away from God, to sin against God. That they would cause them to transgress God's moral law and command. Woe unto the world. Offenses will come. We will be displeased. We will be angered. The world will be displeased and angered with us. But woe to the man that causes another to sin against God. Sin is here and has been here since the world was new. People will be displeased, they will be angry, and that's the nature of the sinner. Again, we're not making one angry, but in causing transgression of the law of God, we remove the offending party. We are told to remove the offending party, the offending part. God tells us if we, if a, a foot or a hand offends us, we're to cut it off. If an eye offends us, we're to pluck it out. It's better to enter into heaven halt or lame or with one eye. You see, it was Adam and Eve in the garden who caused the offense to come into the world, who caused sin to come into the world. When they disobeyed God and followed Satan in his tempting of Eve and took of the fruit, because of them, sin entered into the world, the transgression of God's law. Here, Christ is seeking his disciples. He's sifting them like wheat. We saw that in Ruth this morning with Boaz as he was winnowing barley. He was sifting the chaff, sifting the useless from the good, the wheat from the tares. Christ is doing the same thing. He is helping these people to see their true nature and weeding out those that are going to be the offense. So will you believe? Christ asked them, they, this is a hard saying, they're, they're, they're concerned about it, they're murmuring against it, and Christ says, will you believe if I ascend into heaven where I came from? Will you then believe that I was the Son of God, that I came down from heaven if I go back there? These people, they don't believe that he came down from heaven. They think that he's still just the son of Joseph. And he challenges them with it. But unfortunately, the answer is still no. Their hearts are too hard. And even when he does ascend, we know at the end of the book of John, we know, uh, excuse me, at the end of the Gospels that Christ is crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected. And at the end, he rises uh, in the book of Acts. He ascends into heaven and 
and leaves this world only to wait for his return. One day he will come back in the clouds and rapture out the rest of the church or the church, but then he will again set foot on earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. But they still won't believe. Their hearts are too hard. This is not an intellectual issue, this is a spiritual issue. These followers were absolutely capable of understanding the truth that Christ had revealed to them. They were absolutely capable of understanding that Christ was going to sacrifice himself to pay for the sins of the world, and they were just refusing because they're spiritual, they're, they were spiritually hardened. Everything that is against God in our world today, every issue that is coming up with with the homosexuality, with the, the transgenderism, with all those things, they will say, oh, we were born that way. God made us that way. No, God didn't make you that way. You were physically either born a man or physically born a woman. It's not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. Your nature, you have a sin nature and your heart is hardened and you refuse to see God for who He is, so you do everything to rebel against God, that is a spiritual issue. This whole movement is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual attack. And Christ says, only the Spirit can quickeneth. He said, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The physical side of us profits nothing. Only the Spirit can survive. Only the Spirit can go on. But they couldn't see past their fleshly, carnal world to see what Christ was trying to teach them and trying to do in them spiritually. John 3.5 We looked at this uh, a couple of months ago, but John 3.5 Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Christ speaking to Nicodemus, trying to teach him that it is only, the spirit, only through a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual understanding of God and, and connecting with Him and entering into His family that you can be born again. Your flesh is, flesh is worthless. It is decaying and full of sin. We saw it this morning that nature of decay. Everything left to itself does not get better. It only degenerates. Christ's words are spirit and life. Hebrews 4.12 Hebrews 4 and verse 12 for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The words that Christ is speaking here pierce right through the issue. They go right to the heart of it. And they divide. Those that are not willing to believe, those that are not willing to have their spirit quickened and come to understand who Christ is and who God is, 
are going to fall away. And some believe not. In verse number 64, Christ gets to the heart of the matter. Some of you don't believe. This is being said to the whole group of followers. Jesus in His omniscience knows the hearts of man. But notice there's a division. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And there's a comma. From the beginning of what? Well, from the beginning of time. God knows us from the womb. He numbers the hair on our heads. He creates us. He knew us before we ever existed. And that's why He chose Mary. That's why He chose Abraham. He knew the beginning from the end. God says, as He's going to meet Abraham, uh, as He's on His way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, He stops and he, 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 He speaks to Himself. and He says, Shall I tell Abraham what I will do? And He decides that He's going to because He knows that Abraham is going to raise His children to serve and follow God. Whether His children choose to listen to that teaching is a whole other story. But Abraham is going to raise his children that way. He's going to point his children to God. It's still up to his children to choose. That's why God chose Abraham. This simple statement gives the unbelievers the door. Some of you don't believe. This life is too hard if you don't fully believe. And these offenders are going to be cut off and follow him no more. But the really sad part of this is that it wasn't just among his disciples, but it was among the apostles. That core group of twelve, some of them didn't believe. After, uh, in verse number 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. In verse number 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? It's a very blunt question to those chosen twelve. What about you? Where do you stand? You have seen and know more than all the casual followers. Is it too hard for you as well? I can only imagine those twelve gathered around Christ as he said and will you go away will you also go away I can imagine a group of men with their heads down shuffling back and forth uncomfortably kicking their toes in the dirt not sure what to say not sure what to do until Peter finally stands up and answers for the group now Peter he's known for being a little bit um, loud a little bit know-it-all, a little bit boisterous. But Peter answers, where can we go? In verse number 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the, that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter speaking for everyone there. We believe. We are sure that you are the Son of God. But unfortunately, even though Peter hits the nail on the head, he's speaking from his own heart. He's not speaking for the rest of the group. In his need to answer, 
he helps to stifle and allows another one to go undetected. At least we know that Peter was a believer. And most of those there would agree, but didn't know how to put it into words. And this answer is an answer of great faith, but it's immediately contradicted by Christ. Christ says, Have not I chosen you twelve, but one of you is a devil? They don't all believe. Again, these twelve had seen things that no one else had seen. They had been with Christ every day. Living. Eating. They had sought His wisdom as He taught the parables. And they will continue to seek it. We still have a lot of time before Calvary. But Christ says, one of you is a devil. Cat's out of the bag. Christ knows, and now the whole group knows, that one of them is not who they appear to be. But who? It's interesting that we're in John chapter 7. And the book of John is divided up all the way into 21 different chapters. We still have a lot of time before Christ is betrayed in the garden. And we know that John at this time doesn't know who it is. This is him writing after everything has been laid out for him to be able to tell us that Judas, the son of Simon, is he that should betray him. But they know one of them doesn't believe. The apostles were bewildered. They didn't know who it was until the kiss in the garden that the true nature of Judas would be revealed. Even as they sit around the Last Supper that night, the night that Christ is betrayed, He again tells them that one of them is going to betray them and they all say, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? He says, It's the one that dips that I dip my bread in the sock with. And He dips His bread in the sock with Judas and He gives it to him. And they still don't get it. He sends Judas away and they think, oh, he's, because he's got the money, he's sending him to prepare something for us. The interesting thought here is you can fool those around you and you can even fool yourself for a time, but you can never fool God. Christ knew from the beginning. Christ knew from the beginning of the world. Please don't ever think that it was a mistake that Christ picked Judas. Christ picked Judas on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to bring about what needed to happen. He had to be betrayed that night. He had to be sold so that he could be arrested, so that he could go to trial, so that he could become the Savior, the sacrifice, and the Savior of the world. If none of that happened, then there is no salvation. If there's no cross, there's no hope for us in heaven. If there's no death, burial, and resurrection, we're still in sin on our way to hell. 
It had to happen. This choice was on purpose. And this choice was made for you. Someone once told me that uh, in order for the Bible to be real in my life, I have to put myself into the Bible. And they gave an example of the verse John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, put your name in there. For God so loved James Veers. For God so loved Wyatt Veers. For God so loved Abraham Burgess. We have to make it personal. We have to understand that everything that Christ did, Christ did on purpose with the goal of salvation, with the goal of our salvation, because God knew us in the beginning. God does not make mistakes, and He is never taken by surprise. The omniscient one knew when he created Adam on the sixth day and placed him in the garden and gave him free will that he would disobey. That he would open the door for offense to be released into the whole world. Before God began to form Adam from the dust of the ground, he chose Judas. All for you. All for me. So that we had the opportunity to have a real relationship with God. So that we had the opportunity to have real, meaningful fellowship. Here in our passage tonight, many that were following him were seeking a superficial relationship. We've talked about it several times. They were only seeking him because he could do something for them. They weren't seeking him to abide with Him, to walk with Him, to love Him. They were seeking them, Him because they were selfish. But He did this all for them as well. They just chose to harden their hearts. What about us today? As I stand here, I believe that vast majority if not everyone in the room is saved and truly does love the Lord and wants to serve Him but I don't know about those that will hear this online so I just ask what about you are you listening to this just because you want God to fix something in your life because you want Him to perform a miracle for you or are you listening to this because you want to get to know the God that saved you? And you want to have that relationship with Him? In either case, everything that He did, everything that He does, He does for you. He chose Judas so that Judas could betray Him and He could go to the cross to die for you. To some, these were hard sayings, and they hardened their heart and turned away. But others received them gladly as little children, 
understanding that Christ loved them and cared for them. Where will you be today?